In your Bible to the book of James chapter 2. We are in James chapter 2 this morning going through the book of James. As we head there, we want to remember the churches. There is a church in Ventura County, a Calvary Chapel that um, has received a restraining order anywhere between 1 to 1,000 persons that uh, show up to church or that go to church. They will be cited a misdemeanor. Um, they don't have the capacity to meet outside, so they're meeting indoors right now. And we believe that church is essential, church is needed, that right now the church should be open. We're thankful to God that we have the capacity to meet outdoors. Amen. But we want to pray for those that do not and that are still meeting because we want to be with our brothers and sisters in the time of need. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and pray for them, the Calvary Chapel in Ventura County. And let's pray before we get into today's text as well. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true, Lord. It's living and it's powerful. And I thank you, God, because in spite of everything that's taking place around us, God, you're still in control. I pray, Lord, for this Calvary Chapel that is in Ventura County that have received a restraining order, Lord. That you would be there to protect them today at 9, at 11, at 1, where they meet in three services, Lord. That you give their pastor wisdom, Lord. And the congregation would go out in boldness, Lord, and Lord, continue to meet and gather as your word has called them to do so and called us to do so, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because you've given us the capacity to meet outdoors, the space, Lord, the provision, Lord, and we pray for those that don't have that, Lord. We thank you for their boldness, their obedience, Lord, to stand up for the truth. And we pray that we would be believers that stand up for truth as well. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, Amen. Amen. We're at James chapter 2. Today's title of the message is The Evidences of a Living Faith. The Evidences of a Living Faith, and through James, we've been talking really about what the marks are of a mature believer. What are the marks of a mature believer today? And we saw through chapter 1 that the mature believer is joyful and patient in trials. The mature believer is joyful and he is patient under trials. The mature believer also overcomes temptation. He doesn't enter temptation, but the mature believer will overcome temptation. Not only that, but that the mature believer is now practices the truth. Not only is he a hearer of the Word of God, but he also is a doer of the Word of God. And that's exactly what we want to be. We want to be doers of the Word of God. You see, there are often times in our immaturity as believers that we want to talk about our beliefs, but the mature believer not only talks about his belief, but he lives out his faith. And today I pray that as you receive the Word of God, not only that we would receive it, that we would hear it, that we would read it, but also that we would live it, that we would apply our faith. Because there's a difference between talking about it and hearing it, which should never substitute now us, being active participants of obedient now recipients of the Word of God. And I want to ask you today, are you an obedient recipient of the Word of God? Do you receive it with an attitude of application? Do you receive the Word of God with an attitude of application? Now in James chapter 2, he's going to speak against simply just religious activity. He's going to speak against having a shallow faith. And here he's going to tell us the difference between religious and spiritual now. And the difference between religious and spiritual is that you have a genuine faith. 
You see, throughout the entire book of James, he's talking about the genuine faith. And he's telling us what it really means to have faith and what it means to not have faith. What really faith is and what faith is not. Oftentimes we can say, well, I believe in God, but our life doesn't show that we believe in God. Or I believe that, that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, but we don't demonstrate, we don't re respond to that truth that we believe that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. And here what he's saying is, I want you to align not only your belief, but also your behavior. So not only does, should you say that you believe in it, your behavior should demonstrate it now. Now he's going to tell us that our spiritual walk is not just religious activity, but our spiritual walk in chapter 2, it's love in action. It is love in action. Love in action. And here specifically in this chapter, he tells us that true saving faith. Notice this. This is, this is new to chapter 2. True saving faith is manifested now in the way that you treat others. Now in the first 13 verses, we're going to talk about that. If you say you have true saving faith, if you believe that, and you say that, and you live that, one of the ways that it's going to be manifested, it is going to be revealed in the way that you treat other people. Now ask yourself, that is the real test of faith. Does my faith show? Will my faith pass the test when it comes to how I treat other people? Because that has a lot to say about your faith. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see that that's the number one characteristic that people ought to know that you are a Christian, that because you love one another. I remember working construction with my dad one summer and I was talking to him and we were talking with the, the crew and, and we're painting that summer and one of the workers came up, came up to us and I'll never forget this because... I felt like this was the biggest praise report I've ever received. And, and, and somebody went up to us, one of the workers in the same lot that we were working, and says, you and your dad, you guys are Christian, right? And I was like, yeah, how did you know that? We, I mean, we haven't told you that. We, we, didn't even, we didn't even remember talking about God's word or anything like that. But how did you know? She said, I can tell because of the way you just talk to one another. And it is the characteristics of love now that demonstrate that you have a genuine faith. Here specifically in chapter 2, verse 1, he's going to talk about the sin of favoritism. The sin of partiality because that's a carnal sin that is not from God. That is a secular behavior. And what partiality now promotes is cliques. It doesn't promote now community. It doesn't promote fellowship. It promotes now selfish, now ambition. It's a spirit of competition instead of the spirit of collaboration now. And true and honest faith, I want you to know that church today, true and honest faith is not a respecter of persons. True and honest faith is not a respecter of persons. Now let's read James chapter 2 verse 1. He says this, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel. And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. Notice this. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes. And you say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves 
and have become judges with evil thoughts. Now notice here, he's talking about the sin of partiality. Because true faith or true saving faith is demonstrated or practices impartiality. What does that mean? That means that I treat everyone the same. I treat everyone with the love of God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, what does Paul exhort us? Let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be real. And your love cannot be real if it's partial. Notice that. Your love cannot be real if it's partial. And he's talking about this because in the Jewish culture, people in that day, and sadly in today's day as well, they coveted recognition. They coveted honor. They coveted a reputation. They wanted to sit in the best places. They wanted the VIP treatment as even some of us in the culture today want as well. And he's going to go through five different basic doctrines in the first 13 verses that are going to give us light into how we ought to treat other people. Number one, he's going to talk about the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. Who Christ is. How did Christ live? What was the character, the nature of Christ? Number two, he's going to talk about the grace of God. Because the grace of God in your life should also determine or cause in you a response on how you treat other people. Number three, he's going to talk about the Word of God. In light of the Word of God, how do you respond and treat other people? And fifthly, he's going to talk about the judgment of God. Because we will be judged by the Lord, by God, because we're going to be held accountable, we must know that we ought to treat others with the same love that God has treated us with. Now notice, my brethren, he's talking to the church here. He's going to talk about the deity of Christ. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now he says, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, don't claim... Or how can you claim, I love this, faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. How can you say that Jesus is the Lord of glory, that He is God? How can you say that you respect Him? How can you say that you have reverence for Him if you show partiality, if you favor some people over others? Now, do you see how all of a sudden He calls them out? How is it that you say you have faith in Jesus? and then you respect the Lord of glory, and your theology is right about who Christ is, but your heart is wrong. Now, do you see there how you can have a correct theology, but a wrong heart? A good theology, but a bad heart? Now, he's saying, hey, you say that Jesus is the Lord of glory, and you are right. However, that is inconsistent. That is inconsistent to that truth because you favor some people over others. And if you believe that Jesus is the Lord of glory, you should not do that. Now notice that word partiality is another word for the word that we know of today as discrimination. Why is it that you say that you love Jesus if you discriminate some over the others? In fact, this discrimination that he's speaking about, he's speaking about one that exalts someone strictly based off a superficial or external basis such as in appearance. For example, and he's going to tell us here, the examples of a physical appearance, and now you favor that person. Now, not only is it a partiality, but it's a personal favoritism. Personal favoritism. In fact, partiality comes from a compound word that communicates the idea of receiving the face, <laughs> receiving the appearance. I like how that person looks. 
I'm going to treat them a certain way, but you know what? I don't really identify with that person over there, so I'm not going to treat them or love them in that same way that I would love others. And you see what he's saying here? This partiality, understand this, is the product of our very own pride. It indicates our selfish ambition, our selfish intentions. It, it indicates our heart that is sinful. And what it does, it's really sin. That's what it really is. He gives us an example here. Verse 3. Look what he says. For, or verse 2, I'm sorry. If there should come into your assembly, into your gathering, a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and, you should also, and also should come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention or you look upon to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor one, man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among those yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Well, let me give you an example how you show partiality, church. Well, just imagine you're having a gathering. And in this gathering, it's manifested because somebody comes and they're dressed very nice. They have rings, right? They're dressed in fine apparel and fancy and an impressive attire, expensive clothing and you receive them with a smile on your face and you say hey come right over here you sit right here in the front <laughs> but somebody else comes more simply maybe poor maybe doesn't come with the impressive appearance of that other person right and you tell them hey you why don't you stand in the back <laughs> or you sit over there in the back or you don't have you don't give them the same honor or the same love that you gave the other person have you not shown partiality now notice this, in this culture, it was a preferred treatment due to status. And he's telling them this, I want you to rise above segregation. I want you to rise above discrimination. I want you to rise above any social and cultural status and love without discrimination. Now, easy it is even in the culture that we live in to really pay attention to status and to be misguided by status. To be able to say, well, I respect that person because of the honors that they have attached to their name. And you start to want to associate yourself only with them. Because they are studied that way and that's how I am. Or that person really doesn't know what they're talking about. They don't understand me. I'm not going to associate with them. And you start to love now with a hidden agenda, with a hidden motive. And it's very selfish. It's very selfish. And that's exactly what he's teaching them there. Don't you know that this is a, an evidence of evil motives in your heart now? That you're guided by evil motives, that you're self-seeking and you're passing the wrong judgment. Let's read verse 4 again. Have you not shown partiality? Aren't you guilty of showing partiality among yourselves and have become judges with evil thoughts? What does that mean, evil thoughts? Now in doing this, what you have done is you have judged with the wrong motive. In fact, you have judged with a, now a hidden agenda. You're looking at the clothing instead of looking at the character of a person. How many times in our life have we looked at someone and because of appearance, we've associated them with a good character, right? And we start to look at their appearance to see whether or not that we can trust that person and we're concerned about the clothing instead of the character. And he's saying, stop being focused on appearance because this will affect how you serve other people and this will be very superficial it's so sad when we 
really start to change the way we receive and talk to people and really love people because it's dictated by the motivations of our heart. When we start to see, you know what? What am I going to get out of this person if I serve them? And here he's saying your faith should be revealed in terms of how you treat others. In fact, we should look at others with the lens of love and through the lens of compassion. We should look at others the same way that the Lord has looked at us. We can't be serving people with a hidden agenda. In fact, in fact, what he's saying here is that faith in God, saying that He is the Lord of glory in Jesus Christ, and showing partiality that is incompatible to one another. You can't do it. It's inconsistent. It's incompatible. It, it doesn't go with one another. In fact, it reminds us that the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord looks at the heart, and man looks often at the outward appearance. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, where Samuel went to anoint David, right, to be king? And he goes and approaches Jesse, and he calls all his sons. And Samuel is looking at the outward appearance, and he's saying, well, I think that man can be the king. And the Lord says, no, it's not him. And he brings out the other son and says, the Lord says, no, Samuel, that's not him. And finally, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the Lord said, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you see what the Lord is looking at today? The Lord is looking at the heart. And when we say, Lord, I want to look at the heart. I want to look at, Lord, through the lens of compassion. I want to look through love, Lord. Because I know, Lord, that's exactly what is consistent to the deity of your son, Jesus. I know that and I want that because this is exactly who you are. This is how you looked at others. This is a part of who Christ is. In fact, Jesus himself spoke against partiality. He spoke against discrimination. Did you know that Jesus himself was despised and rejected now? And this is important for us to realize that, in fact, he said in Luke chapter 14, the Lord tells them this, tells the Pharisees and the disciples and all of those that he's teaching, he tells them this, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What does he say? Don't invite those that can pay you back. Invite those that can't repay you. Because you have a love that is without discrimination. Because you have a love that's without hypocrisy. Because you want to love others, you want to treat others the same way Christ has received you. Notice, Jesus was not a respecter of persons. Oftentimes, we are a respecter of persons. When it comes to a person that we know that we can receive something from, we will love them, we will go out of our way for them. But when it comes to somebody that maybe we will not receive anything from or gain anything from, guess what? We won't love them that same way. And Jesus is speaking against this. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the inward attitudes now. And that's exactly what he wants to teach us here, James. Don't be impressed with social now status, or don't be impressed with riches. Don't gravitate. Don't be attracted to that now. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 16, 
And they sent, they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. What are they saying? Jesus, we know that you are not a respecter of persons. This is so amazing here for us. Because Jesus, even when it came to sinners, he loved them. He loved them so much. And we are so prone sometimes to judge people by their past instead of loving them for the future that they can have in Jesus Christ. How many times have you judged someone because of their past? And you have been partial against that person. Instead of looking at them for the future that they have in Jesus. Oftentimes the reason why we're so partial, the reason why we discriminate, the reason why we're a respecter of persons is because we're looking for the approval of their people. So because we're looking for the approval, we will now, and oftentimes, show a special type of love to someone because we want them to approve us. We want them to like us. <laughs> and it's very superficial now. But we ought to learn very quickly, even through James chapter 2, to not seek the approval that comes from man. Because he's saying if your faith is real, you're going to practice impartiality. In fact, if we accept partiality, especially at church, what we're doing is we're dividing the body of Christ. And we're saying, you know what? Well, you can't hang out with us and they can hang out with us. And we're, we're drawing out lines between the body of Christ and, and barriers that should not be there. And we ought to be advocates for unity in the body of Christ because unity now promotes now the Holy Spirit and the glory of God and it gives room for the Holy Spirit to move in the church. Do you know that the, church, the Holy Spirit will not move in division? Here, James is calling them out. He said, he's saying, stop treating people with partiality. Love them without interest. Love everyone in the body of Christ because everyone is important. Everyone's important. Now notice, there is often times that we look at someone and we don't know who they are. We start to be very past judgment in our minds very quickly. But know this, every believer of Jesus Christ has the glory of God and the Spirit of God inside them. And even those that are not believers, that are not walking with the Lord, they're made and created in the image of God that they would now surrender their lives to Christ. And every individual has a purpose and a plan in their life. And He wants them to be able to see that. Because when you have faith in Christ, and when you see people that are lost, imagine, you start to have a love for them. Because you know they were created in the image of God, that God has a plan for them, God has a purpose for them, and He wants fellowship with them. Have you ever been to the grocery store and you start looking around at so many people that are around you? Have you ever wondered, how many of these people are even saved? How many of these people need the love of Christ? How many of these people really need someone to share them Jesus? I'm not just going to be loving to those that I know and that are my family relatives and are my friends and those that I can gain something from. But because I believe that He is the Lord of glory, I am called not to like people, I'm called to love people. It's not what I'm called to like, and I'm called to love others. And I'm, I'm called to do this in Christ. Because He is the link of love between us and other people. Now, notice here in verse 5, as he goes on, it says, Listen, my beloved brethren. When they were despising the poor, he tells them, Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which He has promised to those who love Him? Hasn't God chosen? That word chosen, now He's going to move on to the grace of God. From the deity of Christ, who Christ is, 
Christ who reaches out to the sinner, Christ who reaches out to others with the same love, with an unfailing love, with a sacrificial love to the grace of God. Notice in verse 5, has God not chosen? Now I love this because it speaks about the grace of God. What is the grace of God? See, the grace of God, or the word chosen here, speaks about God's favor upon your life, not based upon your social class, who you are, what you have, what you don't have, but His favor is because of the finished work of Jesus, not anything that we can do to earn His favor. And He's saying, hasn't God chosen or given His favor or, or chosen the poor to display His favor on so that others can know that His favor is because of who He is? This is amazing here in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen or shown His favor to the poor because of His grace or because of who He is? God has chosen the poor as His special object to display His goodness. It had nothing to do with their social class or status. And therefore, He's reminding them now it's about the grace of God. Notice there. And to be heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him. Who's going to be an heir of the kingdom of God? Who's going to be the heirs? Those who love Him. This is incredible here, this truth that we're learning today. Listen, church here. James is talking to the persecuted church. I want you to realize one thing. God chose those that are poor, those that are simple. As, as now people... To display His grace and His power and His love upon. And I want you to realize this so that you know that it's not the rich that we ought to treat a certain way. It's not those that are known. It's not those that are recognized. It's those that are simple. That God has chosen them and He's made them rich in the faith. Now what does it mean to be rich in the faith? It means that maybe they have limited resources today. But in the faith, they are rich, abundant in the blessings that God has given us. And the inheritance that they are going to have in heaven is riches. Now oftentimes you say, well, man, why am I so limited in resources here? But are you investing in all the riches that God would have for you in heaven? You see, they're going to be heirs. What's an heir? They're going to inherit the riches of God in heaven. Do you see here that it's not about a social status or a social class? And he's getting their eyes, he's taking their eyes and their attention off of them. God has promised this to those who love Him regardless of social class and status now. I love what F.B. Meyer said when he said this. The rich man may trust Him, but the poor man must. The poor man has no other fortress in which to hide except in the two strong arms of God. Now do you realize that? How we can hide in the two strong arms of God? In fact, he's saying, do you see how secure the poor man is? Because he depends on the Lord. He depends on nothing else. In fact, he's not saying that it's bad to be blessed or bad to be even rich. He's not saying that. But he's saying that it's not about that. It's not about that now. Now, let's continue reading verse 6 as he goes on. And he tells us this. But you have dishonored the poor man. It's not about that. And you've treated the poor man as if he doesn't deserve the same love. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? In fact, isn't it the ones that are rich, the ones that are persecuting you? <laughs> and he goes a little logical with that. You're being persecuted. You're being taken into prison. And it's the rich people that are doing that to you. And those are the ones that you want to favor. <laughs> Why are you doing that, he's saying? Because you, you're choosing to be 
a people pleaser. You know that a people pleaser is never going to be able to grow in, in their faith? People pleasers will never mature in their faith. Because they're always going to look to see who they can please, which person they can please, which group they can please. And who has something for them? Who has something for, that they like? If that person in that group has something that I like today, then I'm going to go associate with that group. And if this group has something that I like today, then I'm going to come to this group. And I've seen that so much even during this time, as different churches and ministries are doing different things. How we want to associate with those that give us that comfort. Oh, they're doing this over there. Let me go over there. They're doing this here. Let me go here. Let me do this there. And everybody, we just want to please people. He's saying, no, please the Lord. Stop trying to please now a social class because it's demonstrating that your faith is very shallow, that you're very immature. And what good is it if you become popular in the eyes of man and unfaithful in the eyes of God? Think about how many times we can be popular in the eyes of man. And in that process, we have become unfaithful in the eyes of God. You must have eyes and you must have a heart here, James is saying, that you are saying these people are important to God, so they are important to me as well. And no matter how they look, who they are, if they are important to God, that means that they're important to me. And that's exactly the love that I'm going to show them. No, he goes from the deity of Christ to the grace of God. It's the grace of God. It's not a social class or status. To the word of God. Verse 8, let's read it. In the word of God, he tells us this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Now some of them, their excuse was this. Well, no, James, it's not that we're favoring the rich. It's that we're just fulfilling the royal law. What does the royal law say? To love your neighbor as yourself. But he's saying, no, you're using that verse and you're excusing the poor man. And how is it that you think that the rich man is your neighbor and not the poor man? <laughs> Do you remember when they went up to Jesus and they said, Jesus said that they, you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord and love the neighbor as yourself. And then they went and asked Jesus, oh, okay, Jesus, but they wanted to test Jesus because they don't want to love it, just anyone. <laughs> and it says, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? <laughs> And Jesus said, well, he gave him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus, in that parable, he explained, your neighbor is anyone who needs help. <laughs> That's who your neighbor is. A lot of times we'll say, well, I'll love my neighbor. Let me just pick the neighborhood. <laughs> and then I'll love the neighbor. In that neighborhood, there, there's, my neighbor's not in there, trust me. But in this other neighborhood, yes, I love that neighbor. And this is what he's, that's, that's not what the royal law is. The royal law, he speaks about it, underline the royal law, because that is the supreme law. Every other commandment of the Ten Commandments lies in the law or the royal law. Love God and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why it's the royal law. It is the supreme law. And if you think you're obeying this, you're doing well, but, but you must do better. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica the same thing, but concerning brotherly love. Brotherly love means that we're family. Brotherly love. We're family now. You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another with a brotherly love as well. And here what they were saying is that, well, we're, we're just doing the royal law, James. 
But he's saying, no, you're discriminating because you are now, now discriminating in who is your neighbor and who's not your neighbor. And he tells them in verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. Notice it. It's a sin. If it's a sin, what does this mean? That partiality, it's a heart issue. It's not a law issue. It's a heart issue. Discrimination is a heart issue. It starts at the heart. Because our hearts, here is going to tell us, are prone to sin. And it reminds us that we need a Savior. You've committed sin if you show impartiality and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And you are guilty of breaking God's commandments. Now, what they were doing is they were being obedient with partiality. They were partially obeying the God. God. Notice this, God doesn't show His love, His grace, His forgiveness, His mercy with partiality. He doesn't do it. He doesn't apply His grace in your life and doesn't apply the, His grace in someone else's life. And we shouldn't do that either. We shouldn't look at people and say, you know what, when it's convenient to me, I'll love them. When it's not convenient to me, I won't love them. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, King Solomon said, Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Will also cry himself and never be heard. Notice this. Notice this. Christian love is treating other people as Christ has treated me. As Christ has treated me. And what does Jesus say? The fruit of the Spirit, in God's Word we know this, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And it glorifies God, love. It glorifies God. So he's saying here in verse 8, 9, and 10, that our obedience to that should be wholehearted. It shouldn't be partial. Love your neighbor should be wholehearted. I'm all in in loving my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Anybody who needs help. Notice in verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. In fact, if you think that you're keeping the whole law, but in one of them, one of the laws, or one of the Ten Commandments, you stumble or you fail in that, it's almost as if you're guilty of all of them. So therefore, if you think that you're keeping the role of loving people, but you're excluding other people, you are still guilty of breaking that commandment. You're stumbling now because you're being selective in your obedience. You're picking and you're choosing. Have you noticed that that's exactly what we like to do in today's world? We like to pick and choose wherever you go. I don't like that plan, I don't like this plan, but I don't like any of them. Let me just pick and choose what I want. And we always want to pick and choose, right? What he's saying here, you can't do that when it comes to God's Word. You can't pick and choose what you're going to apply, and you're not going to pick and choose what you're going to obey. You're not going to pick and choose who you're going to love. You must have a heart that is wholeheartedly loving other people. Now notice in verse 11, For he who says, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, notice this. He's going to remind them the state of their hearts, the Word of God now in their lives. It says, now, if you say do not commit adultery, but you murdered, you have become a transgressor of the law. A lot of times we say, well, you know what? I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm right with God. But you murder. Guess what happens? You're guilty of all the law. <laughs> now you say, well, I've never murdered, but Jesus said in His Word. That if someone looks at someone with even hatred intent in their heart, it's just as bad as murder. What is this reminding us here in verse 11? That we are guilty and we have broken the law. We're lawbreakers. 
We've broken the law, the Ten Commandments, we, broke it. we break them almost every day. But it also reminds us that we have a Savior, that we must go to Jesus for His grace, for His love, for His compassion now. And we are guilty and we need a Savior as lawbreakers and we need the grace of God. Now do you see here that He's revealing to them and He's revealing to us as well the state of our hearts? He's revealing the state of our hearts. That we have demonstrated partiality. Verse 12, he goes on as he talks about the judgment of God. He's talked about the deity. He's talked about the grace of God. He's talked about now the word of God, which is the royal law. But he's going to talk to us finally in verses 12 and 13 about now here the judgment of God. He says this, so speak and so do. <laughs> this is amazing. I want you to speak and do. I want you to say and apply. Underline that in your Bible, please, church. So speak. And so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now that you know what the word of God is. And now that you know that if you break one, you're guilty of all. Now that you know that you need Jesus. That you cannot be partial in your obedience of the word of God. With that being said, so speak the way you speak and the way that you live now. Do it knowing that you will be held accountable. Do it knowing that you will be held accountable to the Word of God. Do you know that you're going to be held accountable to everything that the Word of God has said as it has been presented to you? That we ought to do it with accountability, that we ought to live with accountability of the full counsel of God. He's saying here in verse 12, here, remember that you will be held accountable before God by the same Word there that has set you free. Notice there in verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Why is it a law of liberty? Why is the word of God the law of liberty? Because it has set you free. As it exposed now our sin, it, ex it has exposed our, our, our human nature that, that goes against the will of God and it has set us free. It is the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You notice how the word of God is the law of liberty. It sets you free. But what does it set you free to do? Does it set you free to do one thing? It sets you free to obey God. It's a liberty. It's not a license to sin. Oftentimes we think, well, I know the word of God. That means that I have a lot of licenses in my life as to what I can do and what I can't do. And we start to look at the word of God of how much of the word of God can I intake in my life? But also how much of the word can I, or the world can I have in my life and still be okay with the word of God? That's not the goal. In fact, the Word of God has set you free from that old life. The Word of God has set you free from that old habit. The Word of God has set you free from that old vice. It's not about how close can I get to the world and still be right with the Word of God. You will never be able to do that. And that's what he's saying here. So speak and so do because you will be judged or held accountable before God by the same word of God that has set you free. This is amazing. The same word of God that set you free. One day you will stand before God and He's going to open up the word of God. He's going to open up the truth and He's going to judge your life by the truth. We're going to be judged. The Bible says in Revelation that we will stand before God. It's going to call the Bema Seat or the White Throne Judgment. And we will stand before the Lord. No one's going to stand with us there. And He's going to judge our lives or our works 
based off the truth of the word of God, he's going to judge our motivations, our intents now, our actions, our hidden agendas based off of the word of God. So here he's saying, now speaking of the word of God, I want you to speak and do without partiality, knowing that you're going to be held accountable now. Now this is amazing. Because now in verse 13, look what it says. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Now what is he saying? Choose mercy over judgment. <laughs> but I love this because he's telling us in, in verse 13 now to extend mercy to others. There are often times that we want to extend judgment to others. He's saying on that day, you also will be judged with mercy based off what type of mercy you've extended to other people. How many times have we said, oh Lord, I know that I deserve mercy. But that person that did me wrong, they don't deserve that same type of mercy, Lord. I deserve it, but not them. <laughs> no, here what he's saying in verse 13, he's saying if you want to receive mercy as you are a recipient of God's mercy already in your lives, you should now, and you have a responsibility now, to extend mercy to other people. Because you have received it in your life. Oftentimes we've been forgiven by the Lord. The Lord has restored us. But when it comes time to forgive other people, we don't want to forgive them. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. Blessed are the merciful because they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those that, that give mercy because they will be judged with mercy themselves. But those that do not want to extend mercy when they stand before the Lord, do you think that He's going to now give them the mercy and extend them the mercy that they did not extend to others? Saying no. He said that that's exactly why He encourages us here in verse 13, that judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. We ought to be so ready to give mercy and not have any type of favoritism against now when it comes to showing love. Because favoritism goes against the biblical definition of love. It goes against the biblical definition of love. Now I'm going to give you three points as we finish today's message. And number one is this, as we talked about chapter 2 from verses 1 through 3. Number one, let Scripture be your standard. What is the standard today? Is the Bible the standard? Or is the culture the standard? The culture in this day was saying, you love those that you're going to get something from. Let the Word of God be your standard. Let Scripture be your standard. Number two, let love, let love be your law. What does it mean to let love be your law? It means that I am going to love God and I'm going to love people. Those, that's the order in which I want to live. Law, law means order. Law, law means that which keeps me in check. Let law, love be your law. And number three, and I love this one. This probably has to be my favorite one. Let mercy be your message. Let mercy be your message message. What is your message today? Is mercy your message? That you're saying, no matter where I go, what I'm going to proclaim, the message that I'm going to give is mercy. Can we pray today? 
Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We ask, Lord, that we would not be those that want to be selective in what we choose to obey. That we want to be selective in what we choose to apply. I thank you for those that have come. Lord, we need your truth. We ask, Lord, right now, maybe in our hearts, we are not demonstrating the love that we should. Maybe in our hearts, we are not loving as we ought to love. We are not extending mercy, Lord. We are being respecter of persons. We know all of that, God, goes against the biblical definition of love. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. 